Well, good morning, Redeemer, once again. And those of you who have joined us online, welcome once again to you as well. Uh, if you are new with us, uh, you can find a guest card on our website, on the homepage of our website. And you can either fill that out here in person uh, from a smart device, or you can fill it out at home on your computer or tablet or iPhone. Uh, but just be a record of your visit with us so we can send you some information about who we are. And if you're in our area looking for a local church, we'd love to have you uh, continue to trek with us online or join us in person as well. And if there are prayer needs in your life, things that we can pray with you or for you about, it'd be our honor to help bear those burdens alongside of you. So please feel free to submit those as well. You know, part of being in church is being a part of a family. And part of being, having a family is having kids. And there are kids in here, and they're going to be moving around and squirming. And so, listen, it doesn't bother me. Um, it's probably going to bother you as a parent of that child, and it's more than it's going to bother me as a pastor who's delivering a sermon this morning. So, no worries when it comes to those issues. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, where we're going to be this morning. Last week, we opened a new series of messages called Arm for Battle, as we begin to look at... Uh, the, the equipping that God has given us as His people to be ready for spiritual warfare. We said last week, based upon the things that are happening around us and where God may be leading us, that we are in the midst of battle and we, will be, uh, we, we would be uh, remiss not to take a look at how it is that God's equipped us for that battle that we're going to face. And so today we come to the first piece of armor in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're going to take a look at, but we want to read from verse 10 all the way down through verse 14. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have it in front of you so you can follow along there. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 10, Paul writes these words, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. This is God's Word. As we take a look at this text this morning, there's several things that I want us to see from it. And I don't have, it's been a long week, I don't have much of an introduction for you other than let's take a look at point number one. And so uh, the first thing that I want us to see out of this text this morning when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to being armed and equipped for the battle that we are facing is this, is that the call of God on our lives, each of our lives as Christians, is to stand your ground. It's to stand your ground. Listen, the word stand in this text is repeated four times in these five verses that we just read this morning. Stand against the schemes of the devil. We talked about some of those schemes last week. Deception, accusation, suffering, okay, uh, division. So stand against the schemes of the devil. Withstand the evil day. Stand firm. And then here again in verse 14, stand. And in verse 14, that word actually appears as an imperative or a command. In other words, it's something that you and I are to do. We are to stand our ground. Stand is the main verb in this text. It's the commanding verb in this text. The controlling verb in this text. And if you don't know what that means, here's what it means. Stand is the thing that you are to do. It's the thing that I am to do. And every other participle and verb that comes after it. Some of you are like, this is too much English grammar on a Sunday morning. But everything that comes after it is how you and I are supposed to do what we're supposed to do. 
Okay? So stand is what we are called and commanded to do. And everything that comes after it, all the pieces of armor that are given to us by God is the means by which we are to stand. That's why we need to hold the whole thing. That's why he says over twice, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Listen, we are not like Tony Stark, okay? Iron Man, where we just have this thing that we, we just push a button or say something and it just kind of envelops our arm and we start shooting missiles that fire down alien ships, okay? But we need the whole armor of God to be enveloped by everything that God has provided. And a part of standing your ground, church, listen, is to engage in active resistance. Active resistance. I went for a run early yesterday morning and as I was making my way through the neighborhood uh, here in Wood Creek, you know, I'm passing other people who are running and saying good morning, hello, how are you, all those kinds of things. Don't stop to talk because if I stop, I ain't going to start up again. But I'm just moving along and there's a woman who is coming my direction. She's running by herself in the morning, early in the morning. And as I pass by her, I can see in her hand that she has her pepper spray ready for any would-be attackers. Okay? Because she's prepared for anything that might come against her. She's prepared to resist. Okay? In fact, any self-defense expert will tell you that most frequently, burglars or predators, they are not prepared for you to resist. Okay? And so when you have pepper spray, and you spray them in the eye and they go, ah! Right? And as you spray them in the eye, you give them the mm, one in the kidney, right? Two in the other kidney, uh, and then they bend over, and then the roundhouse, I, I can't do that, right? The roundhouse kick to the face, boom! Right? They didn't know you were a black belt. Right? Because they're not prepared for that kind of resistance, that active resistance. They think that you're just going to fold underneath their assault. That's why in James chapter 4, verse 7, James says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, the devil loves low-hanging fruit. You know what low-hanging fruit is? It's those pieces of fruit that you don't have to reach your hand into the bush and thorns in order to get. You don't have to climb a tree, right? You can, it just, it's right there and ripe for the taking. He loves low-hanging fruit. He doesn't want to forge through bushes, climb trees, navigate thorny branches. He just wants to grab right as in, was right in front of his face. That's why James says if you resist him, if you stand your ground, if you stand firm, Against his schemes, James says, if you resist, he's going to run. Because he's not ready for that kind of resistance. He's going to move on to the next piece of low-hanging fruit that he can get his grimy, grubby little hands on. So Paul says, first of all, listen, church, stand your ground. But how do we go about standing? And that's where the armor comes into play. And the first piece of armor that Paul lays out for us today is the belt of truth. And essentially what he says to us about the belt of truth is this, is that you have to, if you're going to stand against his schemes, you have to establish truth at the core of your life. Establish truth at the core of your life. The belt of truth. See, in our day, our belts hold up our pants, don't they? Right? Well, at, at, 
My belt used to hold up my pants. I don't need as much help anymore these days as I used to. Um, but our belts normally hold up our pants. So if you can imagine trying to actively resist an attacker who's coming against you with your pants down around your ankles, trying to move and you're stumbling and fumbling all over the place, right? It would not go well for you. The same was true in Paul's day. Listen, in Paul's day, they wore long flowing outer garments. And any time they would get ready to go to work or to go to war, they would take those garments and they would pull them up and they would tuck them into the belt that was girded around their waist so that they could move unencumbered. They could be free in order to actively resist. In addition, many of the pieces of the armor that the, the warriors would wear in Paul's day they were connected to the belt. And without the belt, they would have just been flapping in the wind or they'd been falling on the ground. And so what the belt was to the warrior's arsenal, Paul says, truth is to the life of the disciple. What the belt was to a warrior, truth is to our lives. It holds everything else together and prepares us for active resistance against the advances of our adversary. Now notice the location of the belt as well. Where do you wear a belt? You wear it around your waist or around your core. Around your core. Listen, any, I've, I've done a little research over the last uh, 10 years as I've begun to experience more and more the effects of the fall, of aging on the body as I try to be active. And if you talk to any doctor, any therapist, any trainer... Right? They will tell you that many of your soft tissue issues, many of your injuries are related to muscle imbalances. And so you've got one muscle on this side that's maybe a little bit more firm or a little bit more uh, worked out right, than the other side. So you've got, it's, it's pulling one direction and the counter muscle doesn't have the ability to support it. Okay? And so many of your soft tissue issues are related to those muscle imbalances that have to be corrected and worked out. But a lot of those muscle imbalances originate in the core. And listen, when you have a weak core, okay, when, when, when I try to run 15 or 18 or 20 miles, I can tell if I hadn't done enough crunches, okay, because my gait begins to kind of fall apart. My stride begins to be labored. Why? Because the core is not strong and stable enough to support that kind of activity. See, many of our issues physiologically can come back and be tied into our core strength as far as our muscles being able to do what they're supposed to do. And many of the issues spiritually in our lives are tied back to truth, having flabby cores. <laughs> okay? Having some flabby cores. And truth not being settled and firm at the core of our lives. So if we're going to stand our ground, we've got to establish truth at the core. And here's why we need it. Here's why we need it. Point number three. Because the devil, he deals in lies. He deals in lies. See, the devil is a liar. And liars go to hell, right? <laughs> so, uh, you didn't get that. So... But the devil is a liar. In fact, Jesus himself calls him such. In John chapter 8, 
verse 44, when he's speaking to the religious leaders of his day, and he says, your father, you have your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says the devil deals in lies at all times. In fact, he's the originator of the lie. He's the father of lies. And he calls him the father of lies, I believe, because he was the one who introduced the first lie in human history as he slithers into the garden and says, God does not have your best interest in mind, but I do. But I do. That's all he speaks are lies. Let me see if I can, I can illustrate it for you this way. Listen, every country that you might travel to has its own currency. Okay? In the U.S., we have the dollar. In England, they have the pound. In Japan, they have the yen. India has the rupee. South Africa, the rand. They've, all these different countries have their different currencies. Right? And listen, lies are the currency of hell. Lies are the currency of the domain over which the devil has influence in this world. He is the God of this world, he's called in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, who has blinded the mind of unbelievers. And the currency that he spins are lies. And he will lie about anything and everything. Let me give you a few examples. 17 to be exact. There's probably more. And we're not going to talk about all of them in depth. So if you're looking at your watch right now, take a deep breath. First, he will lie to you about who God is. He will lie to you about who God is. He will lie to you about God's intentions for you. He doesn't want good for you. He's trying to hold you back. He's trying to rob you of things that you would enjoy, things that would be good for you, things that would help you flourish. He's trying to keep those things from you. He will lie to you about sin because He will want you to call it anything other than what it is. It was a mistake. It was a mishap. Right? It, I, it was, I just stumbled a little bit. It was a shortcoming. Anything that doesn't make it evil. He will want you to diminish its power in your life. He will lie to you about forgiveness. He will whisper in your ear, are you really going to forgive them? After what they said? After what they did? Do you really think you should welcome them back into your life? Do you really think you should treat them with kindness and not hold out with bitterness and want to exact revenge and sink your claws into their back? He will lie to you about forgiveness. He will lie to you about your past. Listen, church, he will lie to you about your past because he wants you to stay where you are and keep your growth stunted. He will want you to believe that you can never overcome what was done to you in the past. He will want you to believe that you can never move past what you did to others in the past. He will want to keep you paralyzed. He will lie to you about God's timing and God's promises and about God's intention to fulfill them in your life. He will say to you, listen, He wants to make you wait He's got you on a smoker out in the backyard for 
18 hours. Listen, I can put it in the microwave. It could be done in 18 seconds. I can give you now what He's making you wait for in the future. He will lie to you about what you need. He will lie to you about God abandoning you in your hour of need. Even as I shared last week, He will whisper into your ear, if God really was so good, if God really loved you the way He says He does, how could He let that happen? He has abandoned you. He has walked away from you. He has forsaken you. You've got to look out for yourself. You can't trust Him to be your guard. You can't trust Him to be your refuge. You can't trust Him to be your keeper. He will lie to you about compromise being normal. He will cause you to look around and see all kinds of compromise in the lives of those who are around you and say, what's the big deal? Everyone is compromised. It's just the normal way of doing business. He will lie to you about God not being fully able to satisfy you. That you need to look elsewhere for satisfaction. He will lie to you about possessions being more important than people in your life. Listen, church, there are two things in this life that will live forever. The Word of God and people. But He will lie to you and say to you that your possessions and your positions and your accumulation, all of that is more important than flesh and blood people who are created in the image of God. He will lie to you men about the fact that you are not a leader. Who are you to lead in your home? Who are you to lead in your church? Who are you to lead in this community? Because He wants to cultivate passivity in your life. He will lie to you and tell you that you can just make it on your own. You're sufficient. You're good enough. You're smart enough. Doggone enough people like you. So you're good. You don't need to depend on God. You don't need to pray today. You can just sail right through. You don't need to open the Word today. You can make it on your own. He will lie to you and tell you that momentary pleasure is worth whatever costs are associated with it as the consequences come down the pipe. And lastly, He will lie to you about your identity. He will lie to you about your value. He will lie to you about your significance. And listen, if there is a lie that has been perpetuated by our adversary over the course of these, this last generation, as it has emerged into adulthood, it is this one. As He has lied to us about who we are. As He has lied to us about where the good life is found. As He has lied to us about our significance and our value. Listen, I bought into that lie as a child. I believed that my value, I believed that my significance, I believed that where it came from were my achievements. What I had done. And so listen, as a child, I can remember doing everything to try to excel in the classroom. Right? I brought home honor roll and banner roll report cards to my parents. Holding them up saying, I'm valuable, I'm significant. 
I can remember as I got a little older and got engaged in sports, I, don't, I was super competitive. <laughs> On the field of, of wanting to, you know, to, 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 to be the guy who threw the shutout or the guy who came through at the last at bat or the guy who won the race and beat everyone, left them in my dust because I wanted to hold up my medals and my trophies, not for participation, you know what I'm saying, but for actual achievement. Because they were, I was significant if my name was printed in the paper the next morning in the race results. That's, that was my value. Even after coming to faith in Christ, God was still peeling back layers of all those lies that I had believed. As I got into college and into ministry, and even in college and in seminary, I wanted to impress my professors by being the most astute, most insightful. Because I was achieving in the classroom or even in ministry. God, look. Look at all that I've done for you. I must be worth something now. I wonder how many of us have believed that lie. That what makes you significant, that what makes you valuable is what you have done when the Bible says over and over again that what makes you significant and valuable is not what you have done, but what's been done for you. My goodness. And our identity. The devil has planted seeds. Whether it be through, through music and media. And listen, I'm not the guy who's like, everything out there is bad, right? But listen, I, I can tell you that there are seeds that have been planted that are coming to harvest now. As a generation emerges into adulthood where they believe that what is most true about who they are is not what has been said about them from the one who created them, but what they feel inside about who they are. And the devil is delighting in the fact that that lie has set its hooks into the lives of so many. He's lied to us about our identity. He's lied to us about our value. He's lied to us about our significance. It is the currency of hell, church. And so if we're going to, listen, if we're going to establish truth at the core of our lives because the devil deals in lies, then here's what we must do. I got one big application for you and I'm going to tease it out in a couple of smaller ones. But listen, you've got to exchange lies for truth. That's what it means to fasten this belt of truth in your life. You've got to exchange lies for truth. Listen, if lies are the currency of hell, if that's the currency that is spent in the devil's domain, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to go through a currency exchange. Listen, I remember a couple... A couple years ago, I think it was this. It was two years ago when I traveled to South Africa with Keith West on uh, w- one of our trips there to encourage uh, the interns, do some training and teaching there uh, with uh, a South African church. And I remember we left the airport in Dallas, and Keith was like, 
we were debating, like, do we stop and do we get some currency here and exchange the dollars for rand here? Or do we wait and maybe, well, we could probably get a better exchange rate there at one of the banks. We'll wait, we'll wait till we get on in country to do that. Well, what we had forgotten was the fact that whenever you fly into South Africa in order to leave the airport that we were flying into in Durban in order to get in the car and drive to Port Shepston, that whenever you left the airport, there was a toll booth. Eee? Right? You see where this is going? Okay, so we get to the toll booth without enough rand in order to pay the toll, and they won't take a credit card. And though we had hundreds of American dollars on us, right, that currency was no good at that toll booth to pay our toll. And so we're sitting there, and this sweet South African lady in the toll booth is staring at us, two dumb Americans, and she's like, we're like, I don't know what we're going to do. Right, because she's not letting us through, and we don't have the money to pay. Fortunately, somebody behind us walked up and like, hey, we're trying to get somewhere. What's going on here? And we tell them the situation. They pay our toll, and we are able to pass through. But listen, our currency was no good in that country. It was no good. And listen, I want you to know the currency of hell is no good for those who are citizens of heaven. can't spend it. It doesn't get you what you think it should. When you travel from one country to another, you have to exchange currency. Or you can't operate in that land. And I want you to know, church, when God saves us by His grace and through faith and the work of Christ, His beloved Son, the Bible says that we belong to a new kingdom. We have a new king. We have a new citizenship which is in heaven. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, this is one of the most... I did, a, did the memorial service for one of my best friends yesterday, and this is one of his life verses. In Colossians 1, 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And if you knew Him before conversion, I didn't. But those who did said, He was transferred. And there was a currency exchange that took place in his life. Well, listen, the currency that you used to spend as one who submitted to the God of this world was under the domain of darkness. That currency doesn't spend in the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Your citizenship has been changed. You were once under the domain of the devil and darkness. Now you're under God's Son. He's your king. You're part of His kingdom. He is, there's light instead of darkness. There is hope instead of despair. There is truth instead of lies. So to exchange lies for the truth, listen, first of all, for some of us, under the sound of my voice, whether it be in this room or on our live stream this morning, the first step that you need to take to exchange lies for truth is this, to repent and believe in the Gospel. See, in Ephesians chapter 1, earlier in the book, Paul says in verse 13 and 14, says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, what is the word of truth? The Gospel of your salvation. And believed in Him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Listen, some of us perhaps have never, have never had our citizenship shifted. From the domain of darkness to the kingdom of 
God's Son. We've never responded to the Word of Truth, the Gospel of our salvation. We've never been saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're not awaiting this promised inheritance to take possession of it because God has never taken possession of us. And if He has never taken possession of us, then we will never take possession of what He has in store for those who are His children. And the first step for some of us, if we want to exchange lies for truth at the core of our life, is to repent and believe in this word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Believe the truth about who God is, about who we are, and what He has done about it. You see, the storyline of the Bible says, listen, God is holy, He is good, and He is glorious and majestic, and every other superlative, that that's just like a really big adjective, that you can imagine... That's who God is. And He's created us in His image, but we, as, as, as human beings, rebelled. We were deceived by the, by, by the serpent in the garden. We believed the lie that God did not have our best intentions at heart. And you know what happened when our first parents fell? We followed in their footsteps, not only by nature, but by choice. We're born this way. We're born believing that God does not have our best intentions in mind when He issues His commands. We're born that way, and as soon as we have the ability to act it out, you know what we do? We say, no, no, no. Just like a child says, no, mommy, no, daddy. If you hadn't experienced yet, you will. you got infants. Listen. That is our inclination as fallen people. And yet, because God knew that we could never earn our way back to Him, we could never climb the ladder to Him, He came down the ladder to us by sending His Son. And His Son was the one who lived the life that we should live. His Son was the one who died the death that we should have died. He suffered the penalty for our rebellion, for our shaking our fist at heaven and saying, No! We should have been wiped out. But God, out of great mercy, crushed Jesus in our place. But not only did He die for us, He rose again with victorious over death and is now seated at the right hand of God. And because He's been raised from the grave, because He's victorious over death, that all who would trust in what God has done for them in Christ, not what they can do for Him, that God would say, welcome into my kingdom. I'm going to transfer you right from darkness to light, despair to hope, from death to life. If you would place your faith in Jesus, that God would extend His mercy and grace to you, and you, would be, you could be born again, church. We're all born for the first time with His inclination to shake our fist and say no. That you can be born again and say yes, God, I want to submit to You. I want to serve You. I want to honor You. He will give you a new heart. And so when I say repent and believe the Gospel, I'm not saying walk an aisle, sign a card, get dunked in some water. What I'm saying is let God remove a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that you would want to love and live for Him. That's what we're talking about here. And that's the first step to exchanging truth for lies and establishing truth at the core of your life. 
to repent and believe the gospel. I wonder if that describes you this morning. Have you turned from running and ruling your own life? And been saved. Been saved from the wrath that is to come. And been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. And now a citizen in heaven. Doesn't always perfectly. Always perfectly honor God. But you know what your heart desires to do now? Desires to love him. Desires to live for him. Whereas it didn't before. I wonder if you find those affections at work in you today. Second of all. Repent and believe the gospel. Second of all, when it comes to the lies and exchanging them for truth, you've got to root them out. You have to root them out. Listen, these lies of the devil are kind of like crabgrass. Don't you just hate that stuff? Right? It just, it, as it sets seed in a yard, it begins to spread with these runners. It's, it, and listen, as you cut grass, it, it, it just scatters the seed all across the yard, and so it shows up in all kinds of different places. And that's what the lies of the adversary are like. They begin to show their ugly fruit in all different aspects or areas of our life. And in order to get rid of crabgrass, listen, you can't just pluck the stem. You've got to dig out the root. Or you've got to treat it with some really harsh chemicals that they won't sell to you in the store. At least they shouldn't. Right? You've got to go through, through significant measures in order to root this stuff out. And listen, I want you to know that sometimes the lies of our adversaries spread so far into our life that we are self-deceived, living a lie, and we don't even recognize it any longer. We don't even see it anymore. And so here's what I want to encourage you. If you want to root these things out, I want to encourage you to do this week. Remember last week I said, listen, the, the, the point of this, this series of messages is not so that you could intellectually tell me about the armor of God and tell each other about the armor of God, but so that you would put it on. Right? The question is not, not can you describe the belt of truth? The question is, can you fight? Can you go to war against the adversary? Here's what I encourage you to do this week. Take out a pen and paper and work through areas of your life. Because you can't grow so long as you're unwilling to acknowledge where you're not being authentic and where you're being, not being truthful, where you're jack, all jacked up and all messed up and there are lies that you're believing. You will never grow apart from acknowledging those things. Or face, face those areas that you refuse to change. See, some of us have things that have settled into our life that are just, that, that are just the op- mode of operation for us. The norm for us. And we've experienced maybe the Spirit's conviction. And we've just refused to change. Because it's going to be so painful and so hard to unfurl all those things now that we look back on and go, well, if I come clean on that, then I'll have to come clean on this. If I'm going to be authentic here, then I'm going to have to be authentic there. Right? Because there are some things that are woven together. But to root them out, work through those areas of your life. Listen, the solution for some of this is prayer. Asking God, praying the prayer of David, God, would you search me and know me? Would you test me? Would you reveal to me those areas in my life, those anxious thoughts, those areas of sin? Would you surface them for me? Allow me to see them. So prayer, but also people. Because you know what? There are people in your life who see things in you more than you see them in yourself. So you've got to root them out. Sit down with a pen and paper with those who are close to you. Maybe your spouse. Maybe a a best friend. 
and begin to root out the lies. But not only do you need to root them out, but you need to replace them with truth. Replace them with truth. Listen, truth in the Bible is multifaceted. So I want to tell you two things. First of all, if you're going to replace them with truth, you've got to, first of all, embrace the truth. See, one of the ways the truth is used in the Bible is to describe a body of content or doctrine. Okay? See, if you're going to replace the lies with truth, you've got to embrace the truth by arming yourself with true thoughts about God, true thoughts about yourself, with true doctrine. Listen, one of the purposes of this Renew class that we're offering on Sunday mornings as we gather to study through Galatians and whatever the Lord would lead us to open up next, one of the purposes of that class on Sunday mornings is to arm you theologically, to equip you doctrinally so that you would no longer be what Paul describes earlier in Ephesians when he says, speaks of God giving gifted people to the church like teachers who can teach, right? So that we could grow to mature manhood so that we would no longer be, he says, What? Children tossed to and fro by waves and carried along by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, one of the reasons God's given teachers to the church is so that you could be equipped theologically, have deep roots doctrinally, and that whenever new waves and winds of doctrine blow through the culture, that you would be firmly planted and rooted and not shaken that you wouldn't be blown today in this direction, then tomorrow in this direction, and then tomorrow backwards, and then forward. You, you wouldn't just be unmoored. But you would be anchored doctrinally. If you're going to embrace the truth, you need to arm yourself with true doctrine. It's a part of that Renew class on Sunday mornings. But also, listen, we've just rebuilt the website. Becca has done a great job of making that platform much more accessible and easy on our, our smart devices. Um, and she's in the process of updating the recommended reading page. And then when that is released, we'll push that out to you. And there are books there that we would encourage you to read to equip and arm yourselves doctrinally and theologically to embrace the truth. That's one of the ways you need to exchange it. But then secondly, another way to replace truth Place the lies with the truth, not only to embrace it, but to embody it. To embody it. Because see, not only does the Bible speak about truth as doctrine, but it also speaks about truth as a genuine and authentic way of life. A way of living. See, truth is in the Bible oftentimes is that which is not concealed or a fact or a condition that can be seen or expressed as it really is in reality. So to speak the whole truth is to hold nothing back, to conceal nothing. It's the opposite of lying or, 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 or deceit. Like an event is true when it's unveiled. A hidden reality becomes seen or explicit. A person who is true or sincere is one who conceals nothing and does not have an air of pretense or deception about them. See, if you're going to embody the truth, embrace it with your mind. Embrace it in your heart. Right? Equip yourself with firm doctrinal roots, but also embody that truth. See, what we need as a church, what you need in your life, is not just to be able to ace Bible drill competitions, right? And get your little trophy and go home and put it on your shelf, right? The question is not, 
can, does, do, do you possess knowledge of the truth? The question is, does the truth possess you? Does it have a grip on you? Has it sifted through the areas of your life so that there's authenticity and genuineness about you so that whenever you get squeezed, what is wrung out of your life is truth. That's what it means to embody it. You begin to live it in every aspect, in every area, in every arena. So you become authentic. So you're no longer putting forth kind of a caricature, right? Where you over-accentuate the positive, right? And say, well, here's all my good things. But then you just kind of ignore or sweep under the rug the, 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 the stuff that's a little bit rotten. Those areas that have not yet really been formed into the image of Christ. Right? And so we create caricatures. We've got big noses or big ears. Right? We want to accentuate the features that we believe to be most tra- attractive about us. But we want to deny or diminish those that we believe are the least attractive. That's not authenticity. That's not genuineness. Listen, again, if you're going to do that, I think that was an amen. If you're going to do that, you have to live in community. You have to live with other people. You've got to open your life up to them and not just share them all the victories that you've had in the last week, but everywhere that you didn't make a mistake or you didn't have misguided behavior, but that you sinned. That you sinned. You call it what it is. So that's it, church. Again, it was a long week. I don't have much of a conclusion either. So, the question is, will you fight this week? Will you fight? Will you put on the belt? Fasten it around your waist. Firm up your core. And begin to embrace and embody truth, establishing it at the core of your life so that you would not be blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine and so that you, you can respond to the devil's advances in your life because he's always dealing in lies. Let's pray together. Father, today, I know that I have been a casualty of war so often in this fight. I thank You, God, that even as we celebrated the truth last week, that we were not fighting for victory, but from it. That Christ has won the victory not only for the people in this room, God, but for me. Because I know I cannot win it for myself. I am not adequate in so many ways. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have lost fingers or toes or arms or legs in this fight against the devil's deception, against his lies. 
Father, I pray that you would help us going forward to fasten this belt of truth around our waist, to firm up the core of our lives with truth so that we would say true things about you, believe true things about you, say and believe true things about ourselves so that whenever our lives are wrung or squeezed, that we would pour out truth. That we would stop being low-hanging fruit for the devil's advances. And that we would be armed for battle. Help us to fight well this week, strengthened by the strength of your might and your power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.